Romans 1. Romans chapter 1. It's been a few weeks since we've been able to be together in this study, but no doubt we'll do a brief review, a synopsis, especially of verse 5 through 7, and kind of give us uh, another idea, another picture of where we are in time and history and what's happening with the Apostle Paul. Romans is a very consequential book. Romans is not light reading in any way, shape, form, or fashion. It is a deep theological letter, and it is full, chalked full of truth. It is full of salvation truth, and it's one of the most important letters in the New Testament. We are building the basis here. We've got to get the foundation laid very strong, built around the word grace. We have to build from verse 1 on to verse 2, on to verse 3, and understand exactly everything that's happening. By the time we get to chapter 2 and things really take off, you're going to have a better understanding of exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying and how things that happen in chapter 1 have consequence in chapter 3 and chapter 5. It all meshes together. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome, but he is writing this letter, we must remember, not in his flesh's capability, rather because the Bible is wholly inspired. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. If this was not a divine uh, purposed letter... If it was not part of God's plan for it to be canonized in Scripture, we would not have access to this letter. So this letter is being written with the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit leading and guiding His heart, leading and guiding His thought process. We have to remember that as we embrace this study and as we read these verses verse by verse. Let's start at the beginning, Romans 1.1, and we'll read up to the verse that we'll be at tonight, which will be Romans 1.8. Romans chapter number 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. What an introduction. When he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, talking about the Old Testament, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. The Apostle Paul is very clear in who he is doing his service for, who he is serving, who he is working for among whom ye are also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then tonight we'll go into this verse, a powerful verse. I love what is said here. And I think if we get a hold of everything that the Apostle Paul said in this verse, it'll be a great blessing to you. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. And Here's the key. And if you're an underliner, if you're a highlighter, this is the portion of the verse you want to highlight or underline. That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. 
that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Heavenly Father, for just a few minutes as we break bread and as we study Your Word, God, we ask You that You would lead God and direct us. God, I pray that You'd give us the physical strength, the clarity of mind, and Lord, that You would open our hearts and our mind to receive the truth of Your Word. We thank You tonight for our time together, for our church family. God, I pray for Pastor Nathan as he stands to preach. God, that each teenager in the building, Lord, that they would be attentive that they would hear the message of God preached in that building. Lord, that you would bind distraction. And Lord, that he would be able to preach with liberty, without fear and without favor. God, I pray for Brother John tonight as he leads the children's ministry. God, I pray that you'd give him clarity, direction. Lord, I pray that there would be a holy hush amongst the heart of those children. And Lord, that if tonight you would open the eyes of even a young child to see the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, then Lord, you can do it. You can save them. God, I pray for everybody on this campus tonight in whatever capacity they're serving or however they're studying your word. We pray for your will to be done and we give you all the glory in advance. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God's been good to us today. Let me just say that. We had a wonderful service at 8 a.m. Heard some great reports and a fantastic message preached by Pastor Nathan. And then at 10.30, we had a wonderful, wonderful service, Great Liberty, the 9.30 Bible study hour. Then right after the 10.30 service, we had a deacons meeting, a leadership team meeting, some new things happening there. We're refocusing our deacon ministry. We had a lunch and a time of meeting for them, then meetings in the office, and now we're here for the 5 o'clock service, and I'm so excited to be here with you tonight. I'm thankful to be back home. Amen? Amen. I'm glad to be here. I really am. I'm thankful to be here with you. What a wonderful, wonderful thing it is to have a Sunday night service. I still love them. So let's review quickly verse 5 through 7. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. Verse 6, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. So all be it that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we said this in that last message, but if you didn't catch that message or if you haven't gone back in the archive, let's go over a few things. Paul's primary purpose. You've got to take this with you on this entire journey. Why is Paul writing the letter that he's writing? So there's some purposes and there's some great truths here, but... It's very important to know that the Apostle Paul was mission-focused and mission-minded. He's writing this letter as a preamble to his arrival for the first time. I might mention that will be important later on. For his first arrival, his first time to come to Rome as a saved man. He's not been back to Rome. We're not sure if he'd even been to Rome at all. But we know for sure he had not been to Rome since his conversion. This is his preamble I'm coming. Preparations must be made. There's a lot of talk of prayer and supplications and things that need to be taken to the Lord. And so he is preparing this group in Rome, not only to say, hey, and to have fellowship and to be a part of the ministry and to talk about what all God had done, but he needs this church in Rome to get to where? Who can tell me where? Remember, we're studying tonight. I may ask some questions. I love some feedback. There's some college students in here. You can do it. 
where would he be going? Where would he be preparing for it? Anybody know? Spain. Who said Spain? Gabe, you get a chocolate bar at the end of the service. Hey, be ready to preach next Sunday night. I think that'd be good. So he's preparing for Spain. But he wants this church to be a part of what he's doing. And he wants them to begin to pray. And he wants them to begin to process that there's work to be done. There's money to be raised. It takes effort to get the job done. And so not only is he going to spend time with them, but he's going to allow them to be part of what he's doing. So there's a lot here. I don't want to spend too much time reviewing. But the chief point of this letter, number one, is to edify the believers, the ones that are already saved, to keep them encouraged. Secondly, is to preach the gospel, that if anybody would get a hold of this letter, they would see the truth and the beauty that Jesus is who he said he was, and that there is hope through Jesus, that there is eternal life available through Jesus Christ. He wants to get to know these Roman Christians. He really wants a relationship with them. Remember this, the Apostle Paul is not married. There's not a lady traveling with him. His wife, that doesn't exist for him. If he has friendship, it's going to be in the church. If he has someone pat him on the back and say, it's going to be okay, I'm praying for you, he's not getting it from a wife that's at home or that's traveling with him. He is desperate for the church. The Apostle Paul wants that friendship and that relationship with the church. And from that, he would be encouraged, he would be sustained and able to do what he needs to do. Now, let's move on. There's a whole lot there, but I don't like to spend a whole lot of time reviewing because if we spend the entire message reviewing, we'll never get to new content. So I invite you to go back and listen to those sermons. This is the fifth or the sixth message out of Romans 1, and now we are to verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. He said here, I thank my God. In every letter except one, the Apostle Paul wrote all but one that he penned. He expressed his gratitude, his love, and his appreciation for that group of people or the church to which he was writing to. Can any student of the Word tonight tell me what was the church, what was the letter, what is the epistle in which he does not say openly, I thank God for you? Any chocolate bars to be given? It's Galatia, the church of Galatia. In Galatians, he never mentions, I thank God for you. And really, it's because of the tone of the letter. If you've ever read the letter to the church there at Galatia, he was very upset with the church at Galatia. Read Galatians 1 and how they mishandled the gospel message of Jesus Christ and how He comes at them. It's a very, very tonal letter. It's a scolding letter, but it's a rebuilding letter. And all those letters except Galatians, He gives thanks for them. And the point is this, Paul truly loves the family of God. He loves being part of the church and he loves the people that make up the family of God. Paul really loves God's people. Paul's thankful to be a part of God's people. And I'll say this on my part, I'm thankful tonight to be a part of the family of God. I never want to get over the fact that I get to be a part of the family of God. 
I never want to walk in and just be another opportunity to be in a building with people I know or people I have an acquaintance with and it just be another social event or another social activity. No, no, no. I belong to the church of Jesus Christ, the family of God. It's the most powerful entity ever created. It's the most strongly protected entity ever established. There at Caesarea Philippi at the temple of Pan, Jesus takes Peter, James, John, all the disciples. They go to that place of great wickedness and darkness and there Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, thou art the church. You are the church. You are the church. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Jesus puts a protective layer of spoken word over the church. And since that day, the family of God, the church has been a protected entity. That means from the time that Jesus said that in Caesarea Philippi to this day that there has been a living breathing, healthy, thriving church. It does not mean that it was not in adverse conditions. It does not mean that it was an easy time and easy going and a bed of roses. But the point is, if Jesus said that the gates of hell should not prevail or overcome the church, then that means since that day that there has been on this earth a church, a real church, a real remnant of Christ And Paul is thankful not only to be a part of it, he knows who he was. We'll find out later just what he thinks of himself and his flesh and his desire. But he knows what he was. He remembers what he used to do. He remembers what it was to literally take Christians and put them in chains and in shackles and put them in prison simply for claiming the name of Christ. And now on the Damascus road, this wonderful thing happens and Jesus himself comes to his rescue and opens his Jewish eyes, his pharisaical, law-keeping, brilliant-minded eyes, and he saves him. And now Paul knows what it means to be at the king's table, to be a real believer, to know what God is and who God is. And Paul said, I thank God for you. He's thankful to be a part of the family of God. And if you're part of a family of faith, if God's given you the opportunity to join a local New Testament Bible-believing church, then God has given unto you a great treasure. If you find a church that'll preach the truth without fear and without favor, that'll cling to the promises of His Word and make it all about what the main thing is supposed to be all about, that's Jesus. If you find that, God has blessed you richly. You can belong to the greatest country club in all of the United States of America. You can drive the nicest cars, have the greatest American Express with no limit, and at the end of the day, if you don't have a good home church, you're lacking. And if God's given you the opportunity to be a part of a church, you're blessed. I'm thankful that I get to be a part of the family of God. And Paul said, I thank God for you. I thank God for you every day. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Well, you say he doesn't even know them. He's writing this letter blindly to people he doesn't even know. Paul knows this. 
That if they love Jesus and if they're a part of the family of God, then He loves them. Well, what if they're not uh, Paul's type of people? He loves them. He prays for them. What if they don't look the way Paul imagined in his mind when he arrives to Rome, the way they ought to look? He loves them and he prays for them because they're part of the family of God. The tapestry of God's family, the tapestry of the family of God is a beautiful quilt. It's different patches of different people, shapes, colors, sizes, socioeconomic situations, rich, poor, African, American, Spanish, Italian, German, Israeli. They're all over the world. Sometimes we hear the family of God and we go, Trinity Baptist Church, 216 Shelburne Road, and everybody that sits in blue chairs and watches on the E-Church. The family of God is global. In South Korea today, the family of God included one church that had 36,000 people in attendance. And the same God that those 36,000 South Koreans worshipped with hands up and tears coming down their cheeks is the same God and the same family in Haiti that met Sunday morning underneath a tree in a blue tarp. The family of God does not have to meet your standards and your definition. The gospel message doesn't belong to any group of people. Praise God, I got grafted in as a Gentile puppy dog and I get to be a part of the family of God. And it's global. Paul said, I thank God that I just have a seat at the table. You say, well, church, people, problems, issues. Go look in the mirror. For all have sinned and fall short, short of the glory of God. The beauty is it's not up to you or your works or what you're able to do. Hence, the family of God. You cast yourself at the mercy of Christ and His ability and what it means to be His son, His daughter. The family of God is a beautiful, beautiful thing. That's why I take such issue with my generation, this spirit of I'll need to find what perfectly satisfies my desires as far as it pertains to a church. The first time I get my toes stepped on. The first time I get my feelings hurt, ah, time to find a new one. That's not what being a part of the family of God is. Nor is that being a part of a church family. When you join a church family, it's a lifelong love. It's a lifelong relationship. It doesn't mean that people don't move on. It doesn't mean that God doesn't move them to other places. That's not what we're talking about. But I'm talking about my generation that looks for instant gratification and that refuses to work through problems. We'd rather run and find a new place and a new group and cause problems there. That's just the way it's developing. Being part of the family of God is a precious, precious thing. It's to be safeguarded. It's to be cherished. It's to be loved and looked after. I'm a part of the family of God. 
You see, what happens is people take their eyes off of Jesus, they take their eyes off of the cross, they take their eyes off of Scripture, and then when people start to assess each other and watch each other, then things start to fall apart. Until we get home to heaven, none of us will be perfect. We'll just love each other right where we are and thank God that we're part of the family of God. I'm thankful for that. He goes on and says something that's very important, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of the message. But he says, your faith, your faith. He says, your faith is known. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Think about what the Apostle Paul is saying here in this letter. He doesn't know these people personally, one-on-one. He's never been to Rome, yet he's saying, I thank God for you, and I thank God that your faith is known all around the world. A group of people, a family of faith, whose faith is so strong, that it's known all around the world. Remember, Rome is the center of the world. If something impactful is happening in Rome, it will be known all around the world. But he's talking about faith that's known all around the world. The testimony of the church in Rome, you've got to go back to history to see this. It's also mentioned in the book of Acts. But let's tie this together Again, it'll bless you. I love when history agrees with, when it holds up, when the Bible just perfectly matches what history says. It's just more evidence and more proof that this is God's holy word. But A.D. 49, there's an expulsion of Jews from Rome. The emperor there, his name was Claudius. Claudius expels the Jews. You can go find that yourself, Acts 18.2. Pastor Ralph, when he was doing verse by verse through Acts, he talked about this. But it's Acts 18.2 where he expels the Jews. Now, here's what you need to embrace about the Jews being expelled. The Romans did a few things right. There was a lot of wickedness. There was a lot of sin. There was pagan worship, idol worship. Rome was a wicked place, no doubt. But one thing the Romans got right was how to keep up with history. How to write down what happened when it happened and how to put everything into context. They were wonderful at keeping their history. There is a particular historian. His full name is Gaius Suetonius Tranquillus. Imagine putting that on your driver's license. But commonly known as Suetonius, and this is a Roman historian who focused mainly on the emperors of Rome. He wrote between Julius Caesar and Claudius, 12 total that he did, these Roman rulers. He basically wrote their by their biographies and their works and all that they did and kept daily logs and journals. It's a lot of content. But if you dig deep, and I know the Bible is so strong in its own commentary, but if you dig deep in what this historian wrote about 
this particular Roman leader, Claudius. If you go to the life of Claudius, written by Suetonius, and you go to the 25th chapter, you go down to the fourth column, there's this short blurb that's caught in the annals of time and history. But from that one little insert in the 25th chapter, it shouts and it screams wonderful truth. Now, in Latin, this is what it says. Judeos implorso cresto acidue tomotanis impatoro Claudius Roma expultit. In English, it means this. Since the Jews constantly made disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, Now, who is Christus? Jesus Christ. The emperor Claudius expelled them from Rome. The Roman historian writes of his emperor that something happened from a Judean person from the land in the hills of Judea named Christus that the news of whatever happened around this figure named Christus arrives to Rome. And when it arrives to Rome, it so does something to the Jews, it so brings out in them something riotous, a celebration, movements in the street, that he expels them from the city. Something happened so cataclysmic in the heart of these Jews that they got expelled from Rome. History proves it. The Bible proves it. And it shows that something arrives, some sort of news comes from a land of Judea to Rome and it changes everything in Rome. To the point that the emperor gets so fed up with what's happening with the Jews that he kicks them out of the country. Now eventually you go through history and he allows them back, kicks them out and allows them back again. But the point is this, something had happened in Rome around this man Christus from Judea. So what was that news that had come to Rome that was changing the atmosphere? What could it be that the Jews of all people, he doesn't mention the the Africans, he doesn't mention anyone from Sicily, he doesn't mention anyone from Ethiopia, he mentions the Jews. What news could come from the land of Judea that would so stir up the Jews that he would expel them? It's an interesting question. But Paul is commending the church for their faith. It's faith that's really known. And I submit to you that it's a faith and it's a response by a group of people to the good news of Jesus Christ to the point that it changes government policy. Think of that now. I know this is bits and pieces, but stay with me on that thought process that whatever had come, whatever news had come to the Jews in Rome, that it had caused such an uproar and a stirring that they get expelled and change government policy on how the Jews can live in Rome. Something big came from the land of Judea. Something cataclysmic 
Could it be that these Jews in Rome heard that, oh, guess who came? Guess who was born? Guess who healed? We hear the story of blind men now able to see, lepers who have clean skin. A man in Bethany was brought up from the dead named Lazarus. And now all of a sudden something happens to the Jews in Rome. And Paul is commending this newly formed church, this group of believers that you can trace back to the day of Pentecost. And something is stirring stirring them to the point that they're having to get kicked out of the city. The point is, there is no Facebook, there is no Instagram, there is no email, there is no satellite, yet whatever was happening in their heart in this new congregation with these Jews is known worldwide to the point that the emperor kicks them out. I thank God for you and that your faith is known, that it is spoken of throughout the whole world, the Apostle Paul says. It brings to mind to me something that I just saw a few days ago. A few of you also saw it. The way the Jews celebrate the 13th birthday of a young man. The bar mitzvah. What they're celebrating is his opportunity to be obligated to the Word of God. They're singing and there's dancing and there's joy. It's riotous. They're playing musical instruments. They're beating on drums. The whole family's walking through the street. My son, my nephew, my grandson, he now has access to the Word of God and it's something to celebrate. Could it be that the Jewish response to the Gospel of Jesus Christ where those began to see the Messiah for who He was, the good news, could it be that their response was that of a bar mitzvah in the streets of Rome? Singing and dancing and the emperor in Rome got a little nervous and said, you got to get those Jews out of here. Something's up with them. They're using the word Mashiach. Messiah, get them out of here. The imagination loves to go there. And I can only imagine why he would expel them at the instigation of one Crestus in the land of Judea. It's an incredible story. But I want to go back and focus on this thought. The faith that's known. The faith that's known. I think it would be one thing to say, Billy Graham had faith that's known worldwide. Would you agree with that statement? Ralph Sexton has faith that's known worldwide. Many, many good godly Christian men and women that really live a life for Christ that's exemplary. God's given them a great platform or a TV program or a TV ministry or a social media following of millions of people from all over the world. And their faith is known. But we're talking about not just one but we're talking about entire groups of people, an entire church, a congregation whose faith was known all around the world. And my heart's challenged there. What does it mean for you and for me to have faith that's known? How can I have faith that's known? What's known of you here in this city? When your name comes up in conversation Is it your faith that's discussed? That's a convicting thought. What's thought of you in your supermarket or wherever you pay your bills? Is your faith known? 
The people on every corner of Asheville know who you are because of your faith in Christ? I hope and pray so. That's my prayer. But faith that is known. To have faith that is known, there's a few things in my heart, I believe with all my heart, that must be accomplished. Number one is that you must listen to people intently. I'm going to give you eight things. I hope you write these down. and I'll give you a quick verse for you to look at. Eight things very quickly. Faith that is known. I'm talking about faith that people recognize that's not of you. Your reputation that it would be directly attached to your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so much of this has to do with the interaction of people because it's what's known of you. Number one is listen to people intently. If you want faith that's known, listen to people intently. Proverbs 18.15 says, The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. Sometimes to be the contrast of what most people get on a daily basis of being interrupted mid-sentence or being overpowered in a conversation. This sounds so simple, but the people who make the greatest impact with people one-on-one with their faith are people who listen intently to other people. If you want to show Christ, you want to display Christ and your faith to someone in conversation, number one, listen to them intently. Number two, if you want faith that's known, you must be slow to speak. Listen intently and speak slowly and be slow to speak. James 1.9 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak, slow to wrath. If you want faith that's known, if you want your faith in Christ, the difference between you and the world, remember what we're looking for here is contrast. If this church in Rome, if their faith is known all around the world, that means that they are the polar opposite of what the culture in Rome is. They're the contrast to what's happening in Rome. If you want faith that's known, be slow to speak. If you'll be slow to speak, then when you are angry, when something happens that causes a knee-jerk reaction of emotion, if you'll slow down, You'll be slow to wrath. You'll catch words before they slip out of your mouth. Words and mouth and tongue. Read James. That's what destroys the perception of faith with other people. Well, I heard him say this six years ago. They can't remember your first name, but they remember what you said six years ago. Faith that's known has a guarded tongue and it's slow to speak. It's simple, it's practical, but it will bring honor and glory to God. Remember, the faith that's known is not about your reputation. It's about giving God glory. That you're simply a vessel. Oh, that is a representative of Jesus Christ. Look at the reflection. Look at the glare. They so represent what Christ is. That's what this is about. Not, oh, look, a good man, a good woman, a person of high reputation. It's not about me. It's about bringing glory to God. Be slow to speak to people. The third marker of faith that's known is giving generously. Giving generously. Proverbs 21, 26. 
He coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. This isn't just talking about giving your money. This is, a, this is talking about a time investment in other people. If you want your faith to be known, invest not just your money, but invest your time with other people. If you will stop and take 10 minutes to truly show care, to truly ask how someone's day or someone's week is going, or if you'll truly go to someone that you know is in a bad place and offer maybe just a shoulder to cry on, maybe just an ear to hear, if you'll just stop and give of your time, and if you'll do it in Jesus' name, then when that person comes out of the hole that they're in and they see light again and they can enjoy life again, then guess what's going to happen? They're going to remember being in the dark, deep hole of depression that they were in, but that the bright light that you brought with you to that place really made a difference and your faith will be known. For Paul to say this of this entire congregation really, really drew something out of me that my faith would be known. Not that it's just lip service, not that it's just a tag on a social media page or a title on a website, but that it's known because of my actions and the way I live. Faith that's known. Give generously. Maybe even to people who you think don't deserve to be given to. I recently was eating at a place that Miranda really loves. It's in downtown Asheville. Notice I said that Miranda really loves it. No, it's a good place. I like their salads. Um, we walked out of the restaurant and there was a gentleman on the other side of the road. And this gentleman sitting on the wall on the other side of the road was asking for folks to give him money. And we were kind of in a hurry, moving about our day. We'd finished our lunch. We come out and this gentleman asked me, he said, sir, do you have money to give? And I just about just kept going and I said, no, nah, I'm going to stop and just talk to him. I'll witness to him for a second. And if Miranda has cash, I'll give him Miranda's cash. <laughs> That's literally what happened. So Miranda digs out a five and some ones. We're gathering some change to be a blessing to him. Maybe give him a meal and to speak to him for a moment. And instantly, when I stopped, I knew that God was honored in the stop. And I'm looking at him and I'm paying attention to him. And then he pulls out, of all things, he pulls out his veteran ID and he hands it to me. And he gives me his name. And the moment he says his name, I know who he is. Working downtown, working EMS, I'd had the opportunity to take this homeless gentleman to the hospital multiple times. And over the years, he had deteriorated and I didn't recognize him. And I had an opportunity to ask him, if you died today or if Jesus were to come, do you know where you would spend eternity? A big tear came down his cheek. And he said when he was four years old, his mama and his sister beat him till he went to church. That's a way to get him in. He said, one Sunday something different happened. He said, the Holy Ghost came by my way and I got saved. He said, I've let him down a lot, 
a veteran, a war hero, really, living on the street, a sad situation. And in that moment, it's nothing more than a few bucks invested, but it was the time invested just to stop. God can get glory out of us, weak human vessels, these jars of clay, if we'll just be tender to His leadership. And sometimes all you got to do is stop and give generously of your time, even when you don't have it to give. Fourthly, make prayer part of your equation every time. If you want faith that is known, make prayer. If you want to be like this church in Rome, and we're taking a sidebar here, but I think it's really important that we get this. If you want faith that's known, be known to pray quickly. If someone comes to you, I'm trying my best to get into this habit. If someone comes to me with an urgent prayer request, you know what I'm trying to get in the habit of doing? Grabbing their hand in that moment and saying, in Jesus' name, we bring this to you. Because number one, I don't want to forget. It can happen. And number two, I want them to know that I have the faith to ask God to answer their prayer. God's capable, God's able, and me stopping and saying, there's nothing I can do, but let's take it to the king together. It gives God glory, it takes it out of your hand, and it will encourage them instantly. Never do anything in life that requires decision making, whether it's big or little, without considering your Father which is in heaven. Pray. If you're praying about taking out a personal loan for a bass boat and four-wheelers, pray about it first. Don't pray long because you won't do it. Amen. Put prayer into your equation. When someone at the grocery store says, hey, my brother's sick, my sister was in a car wreck, don't say, well, well wishes, well thinking about it. Say, I will pray for them. What's their name? Go to prayer quickly. Colossians 1.9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. If somebody comes to you in distress, pray with them. If you yourself find yourself in a place of distress, pray. Be quick to pray. Make it part of your equation every time even when it involves other people, even when it involves strangers, that your faith would be known. Number five, be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. If you want faith that's known, I know we talked about it this morning in the message, but if you want faith that's known, be known to bring peace to a situation. You know, I've been in some conflicts and some problems and issues and work and business dealings and you'll get into a heated argument with someone and someone in the conversation will say, well, let's just call so-and-so. Why would we call so-and-so? Well, because so-and-so can help us figure out this situation. No, what so-and-so is actually doing is bringing peace to the situation. Because most time it's just a lack of communication in the first part. If you want faith that's known, be so-and-so. Be the person that's called. Be the person that's beckoned to come into a situation and bring peace to the situation. That's faith that is known. It's faith that changes things. 
Number six, if you want faith that is known, keep your word. Keep your word. We live and die by our word. My dad and my grandfather have told me all my life, they have beaten into me. All you have is your last name, your reputation, and your word. And you can take a life of being faithful, of living for the Lord. You can go to someone and tell them something and break that word. And as far as they're concerned, the whole thing's spoiled. Oh, another bad apple. That's what the world uses in its belt of ammunition towards the church. They all say one thing and do another. I've heard it this week. You church people, you like to preach it, but you don't live it. And sometimes it's the simplicity of living life with people. We get into interactions and the Christian in the group winds up messing up and it's just another opportunity for lost people or searching people to say, look, see, keep your distance. They're a churchgoer. They're a Christian. Keep your word. If God gives you an opportunity to have a relationship with someone and you make a promise to them, I will be there. Then be there to the best of your ability. Ephesians 4, 23-25 And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. See, it's us. We're the problem. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Don't look for an opportunity to embellish the truth. Don't look for an opportunity to skew opinion with pretty floral words and perfume sprayed on the truth to mask what it really is. God knows your heart. And He knows what's coming out of your mouth, whether it's sincere or not. We can't hide that from Him. I can tell you I'll be here tomorrow at 4 a.m. and I'll never be here. But I can say it. And God knows as soon as I've said it that I know that I'm not going to be here. Now we all have that in us. Jeremiah the prophet, he said, the human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all. That's being a human being. That's why daily intake of Scripture and prayer is so vital. Just keep your word. And then when you don't keep it, be the first to admit that you messed up. Hey, I let you down and I'm sorry. Own it. Being a Christian requires of us radical ownership. Pastor Nathan loves that word radical. It is. It's radical ownership. It's my fault, it's my problem, it's my issue, and I'm sorry. What do you say to that? Oh, well, thank you. God bless you for taking the blame. And thank, Next thing you know, you're having coffee and it's forgotten. Keep your word. That's faith that's known. 
These are good godly people in Rome, I'm telling you. For this to be in an age of no internet, no satellite, no telephone, no newspaper, and their faith is known, not just in a county or a city or a state or a country, but Paul said the whole world knows of the faith in Rome. What a charge. What a wonderful thing. Number seven, we'll have one more after this. Tell the truth in love. Tell the truth, but tell the truth in love. Tell the truth, but tell it in love. It's one thing to tell somebody that they're wrong. It's another thing to tell somebody they're wrong with the right tone and in love with the right spirit. Someone may have wronged you and the way you respond to their wrong, if it is wrong, two wrongs don't make a right. It doesn't cancel it out. Your response is just as important as what they did in the first place. It's a real opportunity for you to show Christ. Go to the teachings of Christ, the preachings of Christ, His ministry throughout, especially Galilee, and watch how He interacts with the people. He tells the truth in love. Because when He speaks the truth, He knows that some of the truth, that they'll never be able to ascertain it in their own power. And if you don't share the truth that Jesus saves with love and it's nothing more than raw condemnation, they'll never see the truth of the light of the glorious gospel. That there is hope out of the darkness. If you want faith that's known, speak the truth, but do it in love. Brother, you're wrong and I love you. And I'm going to help you on your journey to figure out how to do it right next time because I love you. And I want you to succeed. And I want you to live for Christ. And I want you to have peace at night when you go to bed. The truth and love. Not you're wrong, how dare you. No, you're wrong, how dare you. Our response. And so much of this pivots on relationships. A lot of this has to do at the end of the day. Practical Christian living boiled down to a sauce is relationships. God's not called you to go be a hermit on a mountain. He's called you to be salt and light to the world. And it requires you to have relationships. But relationships can be a slippery slope. Very difficult. Why? Because it involves imperfect people with the heart described in Jeremiah. Desperately wicked and deceitful above all. Tell them the truth, but do it in love. You may have to tell them twice. You may have to tell them three times. Forgive them and tell them again in love. Be Christ to them. How else are they to see Christ? If they don't read the Bible, and if they don't come to church faithfully, and if they're not plugged into a Bible study class, then how will they see Jesus? You. It's the only way. Tell them the truth, but do it in love. It's vital. Lastly, if you want faith that's known, you've got to trust God's timing and embrace God's answer. If you want faith that's really known, 
You must trust God's timing and embrace God's answer. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says this, God is faithful. Let me read that one again. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Chronicles 16.34, O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. If you want faith that's known, when the trial comes, when the test comes, when the issue comes, the pain comes, when the thing that you did not see coming blindsides you, the way you respond, the way you live, the way you do life in response to the problem, in response to the issue, it must trust God's timing and it must embrace His answer. I know many good people who have prayed, God, heal me quickly. I don't want to be on chemotherapy and I don't want to die of cancer. But God's timing was to heal them in heaven. And his answer was no on this earth. If you want faith that's known, you'll just have to trust him and know that he has his hand in perfect control of your life. I promise you, these Christians in Rome, what they were living in, the society that they're living in, the darkness and the wickedness that they are living in, for them to be able to survive and live in this disgusting ball of nasty wickedness and yet thrive in their faith, they had to trust God's timing. That God would allow them to be born when He allowed them to be born in AD 49 and experience maybe even the worst time to be a Christian. God's timing and His answer. And if you want faith that's known, you have to embrace God's answer. And sometimes God will say no, and sometimes He will say yes, and sometimes He'll say not yet. I have watched good, good, godly people trust Him blindly. Instantly to my mind comes a lady named Lorraine Sherlin. I Listen, you say, oh, don't talk to us about sad things. That makes me sad. Do you know how they stay alive in our hearts? By us talking about them and what they did for the kingdom of God and how they trusted His time and His answer. Many times, Miss Lorraine said, Lord, I would like to live. Lord, I would love to be healed here and live some more life with my friends and my family. But she trusted his answer and his timing above all. And she has faith that is known. It's a powerful, powerful thing that God's given us. What you must see is potential. See the potential. Imagine the impact that you could have in your community, in your family, in your workplace, in the place of business that you work at or in the business that you own. You say, I'm 75 years old. Do you buy groceries? Do you go to CVS? 
I'm 82. Do you go to the doctor to get your meds refilled? You are given an opportunity to have faith that is known in the way that you live in front of other people. And if this church in Rome can withstand the storm of the day and have faith that's known worldwide without one tweet or one share, one like, then in an age and in a day where we can literally tell the whole world anything at any point of our day, we should strive to have faith that is known. Amen? God's good to us. I'm thankful for His Word. Who, who, who could imagine that one little verse in Romans could have so much richness and goodness? And really what it is, is it's spiritual nourishment. It's good for us. It's like broccoli and Brussels sprouts with a side of New York cheesecake. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I love you, church family. Thankful for you. I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope that you grew today spiritually, that your heart came Sunday morning and it left Sunday afternoon different, that you came back Sunday night and you're leaving different. That we're going to go home and be different next week. Let's pray together for our week, for our children, our families, and that God would bring us back all safely Wednesday night. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the faith of the Romans. God, in 49 AD, we're still talking about it today. Lord, thank you for history. Thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving your word in a perfect fashion for us to be able to believe and to know that God's word is holy, it's inspired, it's infallible, and we can trust it each and every day. From front cover to back cover, it contains the hope that we need. Lord, I pray over our church family, God, that this week would be a wonderful week, a productive week. Bless them financially. Bless their health. Keep them safe. God, I pray for every child that is here on this campus, those that should have been here tonight, those that will be next week. Protect them, keep them, sustain them. Lord, I pray over the teenagers, the young adults, God, the single mothers, God, the widows and the widowers. Lord, those who are lonely and depressed. God, those who are in sin, intervene on their behalf. Lord, we thank you for our church and for our church family. We're thankful tonight to be a part of the family of God. It's in Jesus' name we all say together, amen and amen.